Hello and welcome everyone back to the Hold for Hold Pro Wrestling Podcast. Um, I am here in the Pro Wrestling Headquarters, Hold for Hold Headquarters, uh, located in my cramped closet. We have a lot to discuss today. This is a big boy episode, very thick, filled with content that we need to uh, go over as there has been a lot of happenings in the world of wrestling this week that I did not expect. I don't usually have the deepest news section of this show, but today this is going to be a heavy news week. Uh, It just seemed like everyone had something to say, and it was all pretty interesting. Um, So yeah, before I get too far into that, make sure you you guys are leaving a rating, review, sharing this podcast, uh, following the Instagram and Twitter at Hold for Hold, you know, doing things that a real friend would do. That'd be really nice. Uh, But anyways, let's jump right into it because we actually have a news story I have no notes for because I just heard about it coming off of work. Um, And it's CM Punk and Eric Bischoff getting in a little bit of a feud on Twitter. Um, From what I understand of the situation, and I am a little bit out of the loop, but essentially uh, Eric Bischoff had an episode on his podcast. They kind of talked about how AEW doesn't book for casual fans and this brought up the fact that CM Punk has like said that casual fans don't exist and Eric Bischoff doesn't like that point and CM Punk got involved pretty directly and said that he's an old man and he has a podcast for his ego which probably is true and so do I so I can't speak too much on that uh, but yeah so it, it just brings up like the interesting debate of whether or not casual fans in wrestling exist anymore and our companies you know shoehorning themselves away from casual fans I guess I don't know if shoehorning is the right word there but either way essentially our wrestling company is getting the fans that they could get like is the potential still there for more fans to be engaged and are we wasting that on hardcore or devoted fans um, and my my kind of take here is I do believe there are still casual fans. Um, I I know I often bring up my father as one. He is a very casual fan. Uh, I would never say he's a lapsed fan because I think he's watched pretty consistently since his like since the 80s essentially. Uh, but he doesn't really care about the week to week. He doesn't watch Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, or Rampage on a consistent enough basis. Uh, he might tune in for a segment here or there, or he'll, he has like either a Google alert set or like a Yahoo alert. I don't know, but he sometimes will talk to me about wrestling news and I'm like, how'd you hear about this? And he's like, oh, I saw it on Yahoo. And I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, but yeah, so my dad's a good example of a casual fan. I think there's a lot out there that just, you know, there's so much to watch. Uh, on TV and on your phone, whatever, you know, your attention is elsewhere. And I just don't see wrestling being the highest priority for a lot of people. But I still do believe the casual fan exists. And there's a lot of lapsed fans. I've seen from experience just anytime I talk to somebody about pro wrestling. Because I, I have a pretty decent collection of pro wrestling shirts. And I wear them out. And people will often talk to me like, oh, uh, yeah, I, I used to like Stone Cold. I used to watch wrestling back in the day. And I always say, yeah, I still watch wrestling. Um, it's you know it's there's a lot of fans out there that are either tangentially aware of the product or just completely clueless now 
Um, and, and as I mentioned, I was a Laps fan for a little while there. You know, good four years, I didn't watch anything. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily believe that companies aren't looking at them, though. I, I, I see AEW and WWE and Impact and even New Japan. I kind of see them all trying to get the most fans they can. And that includes catering to casual fans. Um, a great example of this for AEW's case is just having Jericho be their first champion. I mean, you you are covering such a large base there with Jericho because he's from the 90s. You know, you could get anybody who tangentially remembers him to maybe tune in. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, from what I've seen, the argument kind of got messy on Twitter. You know, people throwing shots at each other, CM Punk and... Eric Bischoff throwing shots at each other that are a little bit more personal but that from the main gist from the center point of just do casual fans exist are companies catering to them I'd say yeah they do exist I don't necessarily believe they're the majority of uh, people watching TV, uh, people watching pro wrestling on TV I, I think those days are long gone I think the hardcore or at least mostly loyal audience is the majority of the audience watching pro wrestling on a week-to-week basis it's just uh, it's just impossible for me to fathom the casual fans sticking around for three hours of Monday Night Raw or even two hours of AEW Dynamite that's a long time to ask for someone's attention that's an entire movie to ask somebody to do every week you know Uh, And especially with series and everything else that are out and they're maybe 30, 45 minutes at most, this is this is a pretty intense fandom to be a part of. Um, So, yeah, that was the first bit of news there. I didn't necessarily uh, give all the details or the transcripts because I didn't see them yet. Um, But, yeah, that's my at least my little take being uneducated. Uh, But let's move on. We have some transcripts to read for this next story. As um, Ember Moon shared her frustrations on the Chris Van Fleet, Van Vliet, yeah, uh, podcast, um, he, she was just asked about, you know, being there for the change between NXT 1.0 and NXT 2.0, and uh, so yeah, this is what she had to say. So this is specifically about, you know, the attire change that we've noticed between NXT 1.0 and NXT 2.0. She said, we would have to sit through these stupid meetings about how we would have to dress sexy. I remember looking at someone else and laughing. I cater to children. I'm not about to wear a fishnet booty cheek shorts because we had a two-hour meeting about how to dress like Manny Rose. That's not fair. Manny Rose is an absolutely phenomenal and amazing person, but not everyone is Manny Rose. I started seeing this down slope as soon as Hunter was gone. And for the first bit, we didn't know why. We just knew he wasn't there. I got so angry. I was sitting there thinking, I did nothing wrong. I didn't piss off Vince. They take away Shotzi from me. Hunter's gone. You guys promised me this wouldn't happen. You guys promised me I wouldn't be lost in the shuffle. Uh, And I even went on this losing streak to help you guys out and build other talent so I can get a reward. So, yeah, I mean, this is pretty, this whole interview is really interesting to listen to. I just pulled out that snippet of uh, the dress code change because it's one of the most drastic things you noticed when NXT moved to 2.0 is this emphasis on almost like a Divas era attire and it's something that is so backwards 
Um, she goes on to mention like later on, like before, uh, or sorry, I don't think it's her. I think it's Fightful. They had sources say, you know, like we've confirmed these stories and also that um, before the standard was just you can wear your, you know, whatever gear you want to wear or you can wear a merch shirt, like whatever your merch shirt. Uh, which I think is just more reasonable, you know? Like, I, we don't see this kind of harassment towards the male talents. Like, you don't see them only mandating them to be in trunks all the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's so backwards and stupid. And it, it's honestly, like, it's a bad move anyway. I, I, I never feel comfortable watching wrestling if that's the intended goal is to, like, be sexy you know like even watching matches or watching segments from NXT 2.0 I hope no one looks over my shoulder because it looks like porn acting it looks like literal porn especially spring break when they had this like bit with Mandy Rose in the tanning bed or something like when I saw that still I was like that looks disgusting I don't want to watch things like that I don't want people thinking I watch things like that in public you know uh, so yeah, I mean it's pretty interesting. Definitely go and listen to this interview. It's Ember Moon on Chris Van Bleet's uh, podcast. Very uh, interesting stuff coming out of the NXT era, which is something I really want more details on. Is that sea change between NXT 1.0 and 2.0? Uh, but speaking of someone from NXT that was in both NXT 1.0 and 2.0, we have Malcolm Bivens had a stand-up special over the weekend. Uh, where he got to control his narrative a bit. So I have some transcripts from that. It's a pretty interesting tale. He says, you know what they say, there are three sides to the story. Your side, the truth, and their side. I have to be real. I just have to. I hate to say it. I have to control my narratives. <laughs> and people start booing him. He says, you can't boo me. I'm unemployed. I get a pass. Uh, here's the truth. There are a lot of rumors and speculation. Was I offered a contract in February? Yes. Did I say no to this contract? Yes. Was I offered to be with Omas? No. No one, uh, no one said a word to me about managing Omas. Uh, was I told about the main roster? Yes. Uh, people think I'm crazy. Malcolm, you threw away millions potentially. Uh, you walked away. And yeah, I did because I didn't want to do it anymore. Unfortunately, I wasn't happy. As Stand and Deliver, I had a conversation with the head writer. I told him, so, two weeks ago, I said the same thing. I don't want, I don't think this was for me. And that's okay. Your happiness is not dictated by what people say you should do. Happiness is dictated by what you think you should do. There's a difference. He goes on to say that uh, people have been asking me, Malcolm, is this it for you? Is this as far as professional wrestling goes? And for now, I say yes. But will I come back? Maybe. Maybe for the right price. Uh, so yeah, great, great uh, special here. If you have the chance to go watch it, I, a lot of it's posted on Twitter as well. Uh, but yeah, like I'm interested to see what this guy does anywhere. I, this is a really entertaining and funny guy uh, that I think is going to land on his feet pretty easily. Uh, but he he will be missed. He was the one part of 2.0. He's one of the few parts of 2.0 that I wanted to see on the main roster. Um, and him with Amos would have been a funny fit. Um, but I, I do like a Moss MVP right now, but you know, anywhere, I think he's a good fit. Uh, and then following that we have WWE, they had their quarter one earnings call. And, uh, I know everyone gets on edge during these 
earnings calls because recently, I think maybe two times they haven't, but before that they were doing like the mass releases during the call. Uh, but thankfully, didn't happen this time. They just gave some reportings and they have some interesting numbers about Peacock, which I've been wondering about because of the switch from the WWE Network to Peacock for all of us in the States at least. Um, and I hate Peacock, guys. I really do. It's not user-friendly in the slightest. I do miss the WWE Network. We definitely took that for granted, um, especially the search function. It's so hard to search WWE content on Peacock. Uh, but anyways, uh, they reported that during WrestleMania weekend, nearly one-third of all Peacock accounts viewed WWE content. WrestleMania 38 was the second most watched live event in the history of Peacock, only behind this year's Super Bowl. Um, I would like to know how far behind, uh, but that was all from Nick Khan on this first uh, earnings call of the quarter. Stephanie McMahon also had some cool news coming out, uh, something that I'm a little bit, I'm hesitant, but I'm excited for it. Uh, she basically just confirmed that they are in the works of a RPG game following the, quote, her critical and uh, fan receptive WWE 2K22, how well it was received. Uh, so now they're working on an RPG game. And I think earlier today that was confirmed uh, by Fightful. So that's interesting. I don't necessarily know what they're going to do. Uh, other than maybe like the old SmackDown vs. Raw 2010-ish, you know, where you can walk around actually and do the My Rise mode that way. You can walk through the locker room, uh, which I kind of was hoping was going to come back in this game, but it didn't. So, yeah, we'll see what where this leads. I'm optimistic let's say um, but next up let's talk about the biggest news of the weekend uh, this this really hit like the like hit Twitter in a weird way like everyone was like oh Roman Roman this Roman that and it seemed like it got blown out of proportions essentially Roman Reigns had a match Saturday night uh, in New Jersey at a house show and after the match he just grabs the mic and I have some transcripts here he says I've been around for a minute me and the shield we started in 2012 we've been running the this business for the last decade uh, so it's been a very fortunate ride uh, we were in Uniondale last night and now we're we made our trail back here and now we head to Providence and for five hours man I can't tell you that we do this grueling schedule everybody back there they bust their butts to do what we do uh, but we wouldn't be able to do it without you, the audience, of course. Uh, you guys give us the energy to allow us to kick out every single night to put our bodies through the struggle and to do this thing. I think it goes without saying the WWE Universe is the best fan base in the world of entertainment. I've been here many times for the last 10 years and I'm starting to work in a new phase of my career. And I honestly don't know if I'll ever be back here again. But hey, if that's the case, I want to say thank you for all these years, for all the support, and for y'all for y'all showering up to see us do. Sorry, y'all showing up to see us do what we do. Uh, we appreciate y'all, and we want y'all to get home safely. Thank you, and have a good night. And these transcripts are from Dave Meltzer, uh, from the Wrestling Observer himself. Um, oh, actually, no, the transcripts are from Fightful. Dave Meltzer on his radio reported that. Roman Reigns has apparently signed a new deal. And um, interestingly enough, Fightful has reported that they WWE is highly incentivizing Roman 
to still put WWE first, unlike the contracts they gave out to The Rock and Cena, which are more lax. Uh, so th- that kind of confirmed what I was originally thinking with the promo anyway. Uh, it just seemed like a, I'm, I'm probably not going to work a lot of house shows promo. Um, I'm probably going to be a little more part-time because, you know, I've earned it. And he has. Uh, so good for him. I, I think it got really blown out of proportion when people were like, oh, he's quitting WWE. I saw a lot of uh, of clickbait titles on YouTube saying he's quitting. No, he's not. He's just going to go part-time. He's the top champ right now. He ain't going nowhere. He is their generational talent. Uh, but mo- if you want to hear me talk more about him being a generational talent, make sure to check out the YouTube channel where I did an entire video about the Roman Reigns experiment. Um, it's a pretty fun video. I might post the audio up as a podcast before you hear this, but if I don't, go over to the YouTube. Um, and then let's just end this news round, this weekly news roundup with some fun, light news. Um, I know I've been excited for FTR this year. I think they've had an outstanding year. And one of the things FTR has been teasing for a little bit, and then it's kind of taking a back seat, is Bret Hart being their new manager. And, well, Bret Hart has some things to say about it. He basically says he's very happy at home. He likes being retired. And maybe most importantly, he likes being remembered as a wrestler. Uh, So it doesn't look like we're going to get that dream pairing that I wanted. But, you know, he's happy, so that's good for him. Uh, but so yeah, that 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 brings our weekly news roundup to an end here. We have a lot of WWE and AEW to talk about, so let's take a quick break, and I'll be back with WWE SmackDown. Alrighty, back from the break. Let's talk about SmackDown. This was the go home episode to WWE WrestleMania Backlash. And so you would think, you know, we're going to get typical go-home shenanigans? Is that the word? Yes. Uh, Where, you know, everybody that has a match on the card coming up, they see each other and somebody stands tall over each other. And that's kind of what happened this uh, episode of SmackDown. I even think it was a little bit of an underwhelming SmackDown because, uh, I don't know, it just, well, you know, now I'm looking at it. It was pretty decent. It's just I was missing some things. And maybe it was just my general enthusiasm going down because the unification bout wasn't happening still. And they're really running with this uh, six-man tag. Uh, but some of the side stories were took some interesting turns, which I liked. Uh, so we could talk about all that. Uh, let's start off at the beginning, though, with Charlotte Flair coming down the ring. She has a promo. Um, essentially, she's supposed to have a match against Aaliyah. Uh, but she's running her mouth. Aaliyah comes out, and she beats up Aaliyah before the bell. This brings out Ronda Rousey, and they start brawling, and the match is called off because of the brawl. Um, yeah, kind of a lame start to to the show. I would have kind of preferred them do the match, and Ronda costs Charlotte the match, and Aaliyah gets like a sneaky uh, win just to boost her up a little bit. Uh, because I think they have big plans for Aaliyah, but this didn't necessarily help anything. Uh, not that I see, at least. Um, and then after that, we have a pretty good match. This was, actually, this was more than a pretty good match. It was nearly my match of the week. Uh, Sasha Banks taking on Shayna Baszler, both with their respective partners in their corners. 
Um, yeah, just a really fun match. A lot of intensity from Banks. Like as soon as the bell rings, uh, she's firing away with Fist. Um, and this feud has definitely been my favorite women's tag feud they've had so far. I've enjoyed every one of their matches. And I think they're just using like simple storytelling here of Shayna and Natalia wanting to break Naomi and Sasha's arms. Um, but yeah, that being said, definitely go watch this match. Uh, Shayna picks up the win after a series of roll-ups. She hits like a super hard V-trigger right before the roll-ups though that gives her a near fall. And I like that the first roll-up, it was Shayna doing like a fisherman's um, pin. And she didn't necessarily do the fisherman suplex, but she pins her that way by hooking that leg. I really enjoyed that. I haven't seen anyone do that. Um, but following this, we have the Usos getting interviewed. They essentially say they're done talking. They're finna whoop RK bro because they the twos and we the ones. I really, I love that. I pop every time. Uh, but also, they also say that they're gonna get snake skinned Air Forces one, Air Force ones uh, to wear, uh, which is kind of gross. Um, but then we have RK Bro responding to this. Um, Riddle like talks about putting his foot in his mouth, which is kind of gross. Uh, but the best part about this response was that in the background, you see little sneaky Sami Zayn lurking, getting all this information, all this data, you know. Um, but then we have this was nearly my segment of the week. This was pretty rough to watch. Uh, we, we're supposed to have happy talk with Barry and Corbin. So Corbin comes out and um, he's, I don't even think he starts talking before Moss interrupts him on the Tron and he roasts him. He just roasts Corbin from the Tron. He just says, it looks like you're about to start singing because you look like a Pitbull cosplayer. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, and Corbin's like, you know what? That's big talk. Why don't you say it out here in the ring? Moss comes to the ring and starts berating him in there and it gets so rough i mean he makes one of his tattoos and he's like it looks like a hot topic threw up on your chest which is very true and so baron just covers up his tattoo he like buns his shirt back up and then he just leaves with his tail between his legs it was kind of sad i kind of thought corbin was gonna win because of this segment i was like man you can't get two wins like that like you're hurting this man's soul and his winning percentage uh, but we'll we'll talk about how that ends up. Uh, following that, we have Drew Gulak's uh, a whole recap of him trying to get new jobs, but then he keeps getting beat up by Ronda or Charlotte. So he's like, you know what? I'm back in the ring as my favorite job, a superstar. So he's going to have a mystery opponent, and then that mystery opponent is revealed to be Walter. Uh, this, is, this was really interesting for me, like, I think if you don't care about Drew Gulak, this would seem fine. But man, I love Drew Gulak. Like, this is genuinely a dream match for, for me. Like, I booked this in my uh, WWE uh, universe mode of, like, a feud between Volter and Drew Gulak. Because I think this, this would be a really fun feud. But they do not see Gulak in that light at all. And Gulak is outstanding. If you need proof of how good of a wrestler Drew Gulak is and how good of a character he could be, uh, go watch his NXT match with Matt Riddle. Uh, I think they had two, but definitely either one, they're both outstanding. Um, so, yeah. Um, one thing that really irked me during this match, though, we get a USA chant during a Walter match. Shut up. Don't, never. There is never any reason to chant USA. There just isn't. Uh, neither at a wrestling show or in your normal life. 
Uh, so why would you do it? Walter should have came out there and chopped somebody in the crowd. That, that was terrible. Uh, but anyways, the match is pretty much a squash. Uh, Walter gets the pin on a powerbomb. And after, I really like Cole's like, yeah, Drew, you know, catering can use some help. <laughs> that's pretty rude, sir. Uh, but, you know, if you do work in catering, that's a good gig. Uh, but anyways, we have a Nakamura interview after that. He says that he didn't forget about the bloodline and that he's after Roman. Um, but Sammy is sneaky in the background. Oh, this is where Sammy was sneaking. My bad, guys. He wasn't sneaking on an arcade, bro. He was sneaking on Nakamura. Duh. Uh, so my bad. Sammy was sneaking in the background, so we'll see this play out later on. We get a Drew interview after this. A lot of interviews tonight, guys, like a lot. Uh, he basically says that they're RK McBro, and he's going to kick Roman's head off ahead of Backlash. Following this, we get a really good tag team tables match between Ridge Holland and Sheamus versus the New Day. Um, yeah, really fun match. Uh, we get a nasty apron air raid crash onto Kofi like it was rough I thought he was gonna leap from the apron onto a table but instead Sheamus just like drops his feet and then boom Kobe uh, Kofi hits it hard um but just when it looks like uh the New Day had this match won Butch comes out from under the ring to help his team and uh Sheamus and Ridge uh are able to get the advantage and they powerbomb Woods through the announced table uh, I really, this is a weird, this is weird because I, I of course hated the name Butch. I still do. I think it's a terrible name for Peter Dune, uh, but I like this feud. I really do. And it, it is just because of Seamus and Butch. Ridge Holland does pretty much nothing for me. Um, but yeah, this is really fun stuff. And I don't think this is the end. Following that, we have a Heyman interview. He's being kind of nasty. He suggests that Kayla's flirting with him. Um, Sammy breaks up this interview and Kayla leaves them alone and, and, uh, Heyman's like, don't leave me alone with him. Uh, but Sammy is there to snitch on Nakamura, but he says, don't worry, I'm going to handle it for Roman. And, uh, Heyman's like, okay, I'll let Roman know that you're doing this, whatever. Um, I kind of like this little bit, you know, it's playing into Sammy was able to use Roman's services in that um, lumberjack match, so he knows that it can pay off to be on Roman's good side, and so he's going to continue to do so. And uh, who knows? So Sammy then find Pierce, finds Adam Pierce in the back, and he asks him for a match with Nakamura for next week. But Pierce one ups him and says, "Don't worry about it. We can have a match tonight." Uh, and so that match is made. Following that, we have possibly the most bizarre bit from the week i didn't talk about this in the news roundup so i'm going to talk about it now um lacey evans has another one of her vignettes it's really rough someone ods um but then the weird part comes now as um the ring announcer asks everyone to essentially acknowledge her so they bring her out to the ring and they're like you know clap for her because she she deserves it and people everyone you know they see her as a face so they start clapping they're like yeah that's a hard life to live and it definitely seems like that wasn't their intended response which to me like how did you think that was gonna be booed why would people boo someone who just told you that her like dad od'd like what are you thinking and it's further proof because now they've officially moved her to raw um, and I think that's just because of the reception that she received on SmackDown. It's it's a bizarre thing. 
Um, but what's not bizarre is Sami Zayn taking on Nakamura up next. Um, this match, they can do no wrong, guys. It's Sami and Nakamura. Uh, but the match does end when Sami rolls out of the ring to avoid Kinshasa and hits Nakamura with a haluva kick on the outside for the countout win. I'm actually kind of fine with a countout win. Uh, I'd much rather prefer it than a double countout. So, you know, it keeps Sammy looking uh, believably strong, and it also keeps Nakamura looking pretty strong. Um, following this, we have the RK Bro, RK Mick Bro, and Bloodline face off. Um, you know, the Bloodline come out. They out, or no, actually, RK Bro comes out first, and they ask the crowd to acknowledge them, but in a very face way. And then they start acknowledging things about each other. And Riddle acknowledges that Randy has the most muscular legs in the WWE. And uh, McIntyre looks like a little bit offended by that. But he's like, Randy's is just so muscular. But yours are really thick, Drew. Uh, so it's pretty fun stuff. Um, the three continue to acknowledge stuff before Drew finally acknowledges that Roman Reigns is the biggest piece of crap on earth. And this brings out the bloodline. Uh, they all brawl and eventually... Everybody gets an RKO and an Acclaimor to Roman to leave the faces standing tall. I should have listened to this uh, when I was thinking about, you know, backlash. I also forgot to make a backlash predictions. Um, so my bad. That won't happen again. Um, I wouldn't watch backlash uh, kind of live on uh, Going in Raw's Twitch channel. They do great watch alongs where you can bet on the outcomes. And I did not listen to the stand tall math and I lost a lot thinking that the bloodline was going to lose. Um, but anyway, speaking of backlash, let's talk WrestleMania backlash. Um, this was a pretty decent show. It flew by. They had only a few matches to talk about here. And I think that's best, man. That's when WWE works best. You keep everything to a pretty simple formula of match, 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 and it'll be fine. Um, so we start off the night with my match of the week. Cody Rhodes taking on Seth Rollins. I never really thought I'd say a Cody Rhodes match as my match of the week, but this was really good. They had some great counters and sequences that all played into Rollins having more time to prepare for this match. Uh, but in the end, Cody is able to pull out the win with a roll-up after Rollins had countered the Vertebreaker, which it'd be really interesting to see if Cody ever hits the Vertebreaker in WWE. I think that the way he hits it is possibly the safest version I've seen because he kind of lets them go a little earlier and so they end up taking like a more of a flat back bump um, so I can definitely see him doing it but anyways Rollins reversed that into a roll up and then Cody reverses that roll up to get the win um, yeah just stellar match definitely got your way to watch this one um, really fun showcase of both people uh, really showing that they're both really really good wrestlers when they want to be um, but following that, we have the Bobby Lashley and Omos match. This is fine, you know, it's fine. It's probably worst match of the night, but it's not terrible. Um, so match ends with Omos winning after MVP gets involved and nails Bobby with his cane uh, for Omos to get the win there. Following this, we have... Uh, this one's a mess, man. Why do they always do this to AJ Styles? I think I've said this before. AJ Styles is some of the is one of the most easy to get characters. Like he's just an easy feud to build with because he's just a really good wrestler. Uh, but they gotta make things overcomplicated. 
this match was getting better than their WrestleMania match uh, because it was just like moving quicker. But then it just goes completely off the rails. When Damian Priest comes out, he's banned from ringside. So like a child, he gets to the very edge of the ramp. He goes, I'm not ringside. That's the border for ringside. Like you're supposed to be judgment day. You're supposed to be these, you know, ominous, all powerful beings. And you're pointing to the border between the ramp and ringside. Terrible, terrible. Uh, Finn attacks him from behind. And they both like, get in the ring and start brawling so the ref is distracted meanwhile AJ's on the top rope and he gets yanked off with his injured arm by Rhea Ripley or sorry by masked attacker my bad I'm so unenthusiastic about this that I spoiled that but a masked attacker comes and pulls AJ down by that arm uh, allowing Edge to get the cross face and then transitions into a bulldog choke which I love the bulldog choke um, for the win after the match, Mask Attacker comes in, they kneel to Edge, and then it's revealed it's Rhea Ripley with freshly dyed black hair, um, which would be cooler if this faction was cool. It's so unfortunate they have booked this faction to be one of my least favorite things on TV right now. Uh, but it has potential. That's all I'm going to say on that, I guess. So following this, we had the I Quit match with Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey. Nearly the match of the night. Um, this is a lot of fun. It's a really fun brawl uh, that just gets chaotic. Um, even more chaotic as it goes. A lot of false finishes here. A lot of trash talking uh, using the microphone that they would use to say I quit. Charlotte uh, eventually puts her foot in her mouth because she seals her fate. She has the advantage. She pulls out this chair. Then she looks at uh, Rhonda and says, Happy Mother's Day. This sets off Rhonda. She grabs her arm, puts her in the cross arm bar while she's like locked in the chair. And we have a new champ. Um, I did not expect Rhonda Rousey to win here. I don't know why. I think I'm a little uh, bit too foolish in thinking that Charlotte would pull out the win. I don't know. These are two very overpowered characters. So. I guess there was no real wrong answer. Um, I don't really know where Ronda's going to go with this title. I would love to see her face Shayna, but I don't see that happening. Um, also, the reason I, I bring up someone else other than Charlotte is because after this match, we do learn that Charlotte has, quote, injured her radius in this match. Obviously, a very kayfabe injury as no one could, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like a geometry joke written in there somewhere. But, yeah, so it seems like Charlotte's going to be off TV for a while. Ronda's going to have to find a new feud. And um, I don't know who she's going to face. That that women's division on SmackDown is not the most packed. Um, and your two best talents are in a tag team right now. Uh, but who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Because, I mean, who's left? Shotzi and Aaliyah? Those are easy wins for Ronda. Shayna would be a very interesting one. Sasha Banks would be very good. Um, even Natalia would be interesting because Natalia helped train Ronda uh, to get ready for wrestling. So, yeah, interesting stuff there you could do. I just don't know if they will be able to do it right now with the current landscape. Um, but following that, we have Madcap Moss taking on Happy Corbin. This was a better match than you would think it was. Um, Corbin was pulling out some new stuff. It, it was very clear that he underestimated uh, Moss, and so that was the story going in. 
Uh, he would hit something, pin, doesn't get it. Uh, but eventually, Moss is able to get the fall after a sunset flip roll-up. Um, Moss is really fun to watch in the ring, though. He's explosive. He's fun to watch. He's what, and I don't like to compare people often, but I, I do think he is the better version of Ridge Holland, of this, like, jacked um, guy, fresh-faced, and I think he's just doing an overall better job with both his character and his in-ring work. Um, but following that, we have RK Bro taking on the Bloodline. This match is a ton of fun. They really build they escalate the tension even more and more and more until Roman finally gets in. Um, and then it's just like all hell breaks loose there. Um, eventually, Roman takes out Drew by giving him a urinagi through the announce table. And then when you think the match is won for Riddle, um, it turns out that Roman was the legal man. So he spears Riddle out of nowhere to get the win. Like I said, just a really fun match. Um, this was a really breezy pay-per-view to get through. I definitely uh, recommend watching the main event, watching that opener, and watching that I Quit match. Those are like top-tier, really good matches to come out of this pay-per-view. Um, but nothing necessarily iconic. I think the masked attacker bit was supposed to be iconic, and it would have been if they didn't do that whole Damien bit before. I think I would have been much more into it if that was the like punctuating bit. Because seeing all of them, it was just a mess. I did not enjoy. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Monday Night Raw that preceded WrestleMania Backlash. This episode was definitely geared to continue stories. It wasn't necessarily um, the most impactful Monday Night Raw, but it was very entertaining. And I, they did continue the one story that I'm most invested in, and that being the title unification, uh, the tag title unification. So we could start off with that first because it did open the show with RK Bro, and they essentially um, just say, you know, you guys put that idea in our head, you, the Usos. They put the idea of title unification, and now they can't escape that decision. And so they'll be down. Uh, they'll they're heading down to SmackDown this Friday uh, to go talk to the Tribal Chief himself to see about getting that match. Um, but also the Street Profits come out and they say they want the smoke. Uh, you know, they've been overlooked by RK Bro. So we have that match next. RK Bro taking on the Street Profits. A really great match that even had a false finish that that got me. I thought for a second that the Street Profits were going to come away with these titles. But alas, um, Riddle catches Montez Ford out of midair with a beautiful RKO for the win. Um, a great way to start the show off. I think the, it's obvious that RK Bro are the most over talent in WWE right now. And um, getting more clarification about the title unification and the fact that it might happen, I feel like they're not going to bring it up twice and then not do it. So hopefully that happens. Um, but following that, we have a Austin Theory interview. I will never just call him Theory. I think that name's stupid. Um, he says that he doesn't care about Cody and the past or history because theory is the future. Um, so that's fine. It was good enough. He was trying to get heat with that crowd, and it, it was working. Following this, we have, oh, God. We have the Judgment Day promo. They come out to the ring just to explain themselves, and it's it's a typical you people promo. I don't like it. And then they bring in Rhea to the group, and Rhea's like, 
Yeah, I realized that I don't have to sign autographs and watch them be sold on eBay, so I joined this group. Ugh, just the worst motivation. The worst for this group that's supposed to be there on the top of the mountain of omnipotence. You know, they're, they're supposed to be so untouchable, and they speak in such pedestrian language. I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, but anyways, uh, Liv Morgan comes out to confront Rhea and it, she takes too much time. I didn't like, and I mean, I was already in a bad, I was just sour because of this promo, but when Liv comes out, she does like a full entrance. She just like, she's shaking hands with people. She's clapping. She's doing her old bit. Like, girl, get in the ring. Go in there and fight Rhea Ripley. That's your rival, isn't it? So, but we we do have that match next. Rhea Ripley versus Liv Morgan. Uh, Edge and Damian stick around ringside. Um, it's a surprisingly clean match. I think it's the only clean match of the night. Uh, maybe there's two, but yeah, it's it's a clean match. Rhea gets the win after locking in that reverse cloverleaf. I love that reverse cloverleaf. Um, and then she locks it in again after the bell. Then AJ and Finn come out, and they do their whole entrance too. Like, they do their combined entrance and then two sweet on the ramp, and then they make their way down uh, because Finn Balor is going to have a match with Damian Priest. Um, and this is a mess of a match. It ends in a DQ when Edge spears Finn, and then we get a post-match brawl that uh, Judgment Day stands strong. It's exhausting. Uh, man, they've ruined this whole thing. I, I can't say it enough. Why do they do this? These overcomplicated things. Also, Edge cut his hair. I forgot to mention that. Um, his hair is real short now, which I'm fine with. I think he should have done more of a medium length because now when he moves, his hair sticks up a lot like a porcupine. So I don't know if that's going to work out for him. Um, but following that, we have a really good segment. And I know it's so silly, but I think it's fun. Um, it's American Alpha, or the, um, sorry, the Alpha Academy and Kevin Owens. Um, they're talking about they're sending off Ezekiel's DNA to be tested. Uh, so they'll know if Ezekiel is actually Elias's younger brother come next week. Um, but then Owen says that he has a special guest coming to the show tonight, and it's his older brother, Ken Owens. Um, immediately, I was so happy when he said that. I, that brought me out of my funk. Uh, following that, we have a VIP lounge with MVP and Amos. And shortly into it, Cedric Alexander interrupts, and he's coming down the ring. He's really trying to butter up MVP, really trying to get on his good side. Uh, but MVP just keeps... He doesn't want him there. He is a nuisance. Um, but eventually, though, Lashley does come out. He destroys the security that are at ringside. He gives one of them the one-armed spinebuster on the floor, and he did not... He did not put him down gently. Um, but then he gets in a brawl with Cedric. He's able to like fight him off. Then he throws Amos out the ring. And then he's standing toe-to-toe with MVP. And just before he's able to pop him, Cedric is able to hit springboard uh, onto Lashley's back. But then he gets put in the hurt lock for his troubles. But this all buys MVP just enough time to retreat. Um, I like where this is going. I love Cedric Alexander. I kind of wish that he would team up with Lashley now that MVP's being such a dick to him, but we'll see. Um, I also wouldn't mind him joining up with MVP because he's another personality that I think the the stable needs, I guess. Because Omos, I know everyone loves Omos. They say he's like 
a great big man. I don't see it, man. He does nothing to connect with me. I think Cedric would be a welcome addition to this uh, dynamic. Uh, following that, though, we have Pierce and Sonya Deville. Adam Pierce is backstage with her, and Sonya says that she's done with the investigation being into her. Uh, you know, she's done with this whole investigation about her being a WWE official. Sonya asks Pierce who she's facing tonight. Then she's like, eh, you know what? It doesn't matter because I'm all about business, and then exits out to the ring. Uh, we go to commercial, we come back, Adam Pierce has made his way down to the ring and informs Sonya that the WWE has deemed her unfit to be an official and now she'll be solely an in-ring competitor, effective immediately. Um, Pierce then introduces Sonya's opponent for the evening and it's Alexa Bliss. Um, Alexa Bliss comes out in her full like Lily stuff, you know, she has the Lily doll, she has the old gear. I don't know where this is going to go, guys. I, I will say this. I did not miss Alexa, Alexa Bliss. And that's not her fault. I think she's a great performer. It's just purely the creative they were giving her. Uh, so, I don't know. I can be turned around with a good program, though. Um, the match is pretty short between her and Sonya as Bliss just hits a DDT for the win. Following this, we get a really fun segment. Ezekiel comes down the ring. And he gets to meet Ken Owens. It's clearly Kevin Owens in a very, like, old man wig. Um, but he comes out and he beats up Elias. Or, sorry, Ezekiel for being a liar. He does, like, a great bit, though, before he pulls the crowd. And is like, who who actually believes Ezekiel is the younger brother of Elias? Of course, everyone raises their hands. And Owens is like, how many of you graduated from high school? It's a good bit. Um, so, yeah. Loving this feud. I think it's silly. I think it's fun. It's getting Ezekiel over for me. I thought I was going to hate Ezekiel from the moment I saw him. And now he's one of the few things I look forward to on Raw every week. Uh, Speaking of looking forward to every week on Raw, is Veer coming on Raw every week? And he did it again. Um, He beat up this guy, Frank Loman, who a lot of people said looked like Wardlow, which I didn't really see at first, but now I definitely see it. Uh, following that, we had a Cody Rhodes interview. He is in guerrilla position. He just says that Rollins is behind him now, and his focus is on the U.S. title because how great does it sound, the American Nightmare, the U.S. champion? Sounds all right to me. Uh, so he goes out there. He has a match with Austin Theory for the title. Uh, they said that he has earned this shot because he beat Seth Rollins twice. I think that's pretty fair. Um, we get a fun match. Uh, Theory taunts Cody with the Stardust, uh, like the cartwheel and the boop, 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 boop. And, but we get a Rollins run in after Cody hits a Cody cutter. That gives the DQ into Theory, or sorry, DQ loss to Theory. And Rollins is just beating him up after the bell. Boom, boom, boom. Gets him on the announce table, hits the stomp on his freaking neck. And, um, so yeah, this feud clearly not over. Rollins is not done with Cody. And I'm all right with it. I think this will be a fun match for Hell in a Cell. Uh, following that, we have Sasha Banks and Naomi taking on Duke Drop and Nikki A.S.H. At first, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Because, you know, clearly, Duke Drop and Nikki are going to lose. And they just became a team. And yes, they did lose. But we're watching them develop as a team. As after the match, Duke Drop yells at Nikki, it's time to get serious. Um, so I'm liking this. I like this development. I like when stories are told in the ring this way. Um, and I think you can even do some like campier stuff with this, uh, like trust building exercises would be fun. 
things that are a little bit, uh, you know, sports entertainment, but could still develop this team and develop their character dynamic as well. Uh, because I think Dewdrop especially has not had the opportunity to showcase her character, and this would be a great time to do so. Following that, we have Mustafa Ali uh, taking on Ciampa with a special guest referee, The Miz. The Miz, of course, promises to call it down the middle, um, but towards the end of this match, Ciampa hits a scorpion death drop, covers, and it's a fast count. Miz clearly gifted this win to Ciampa, this continuing this feud. I enjoy it. It's fun. Um, I know Mustafa has been dropping promos on Twitter, so I need to go watch those because he always does like fun stuff for that. Uh, but even just at this surface level, this is a decent feud that's going to probably butt heads with Theory. And I like that. I like that we're seeing like the making of a title feud. Following this, uh, Lashley and Omos are announced to have a steel cage match the next week. I only noted this because the graphic they put for this is terrible. You can see it on my Twitter. I quote tweeted it. They like did the steel cage fencing on the entire photo but they kept Omas and Bobby Lashley's head like out of it. So literally their entire body is covered in this steel cage, but then their head isn't. And there's not like a neck hole or anything. So it just looks like they phase through the, the cage. It bothered me so much. Um, but after this, um, we get the 24-7 division. R-Truth is uh, serving Akira Tozawa and Reggie uh, divorce papers. And Reggie tries to talk with uh, Dana Brooke, but Tamina stops him. Um, fun enough. It's fine. R-Truth being like the person to serve people would be a really interesting character. I think that'd be really funny. Um, but then following this, we have Bianca Belair and Asuka in the main event. Uh, it's another DQ finish, though, which I did not enjoy. This match really didn't get going as much as it could have before Becky comes down to the ring and attacks Bianca. And then after the match, she nails a manhandle slam on Asuka. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this feud, especially if it leads to a triple threat. They don't do a lot of triple threats, and I love triple threats. Specifically, I love three-way dance from ECW where it's an elimination. I always do that whenever I have uh, my universe mode. That's like my, one of my favorite matches to have. Uh, so, yeah, interesting stuff. That was this week in WWE. Um like I said, Backlash was a pretty good pay-per-view. The Fallout episode of Raw was definitely better than the Go Home episode of SmackDown. But um, yeah, we have some interesting stuff going on. That Hell in a Cell is kind of going to be a stacked card. I don't know what they're going to do with the title unification match. I think that will be in Hell in a Cell. And then you have uh, Drew and Roman or Nakamura and Roman. And then Sammy's in there. And then on Raw, you just you have Cody and Rollins, who are clearly going to have a hell in a cell. Ciampa and Ali and The Miz and Theory are all intertwined. We have some really good stories going on. Um, I believe this coming Friday, uh, Naomi and Sasha Banks will put their titles online against Natalia and Shayna. So that should be a really fun match, too. Um, so, yeah, we have a lot to look forward to with WWE. Um, so let's switch gears and talk about everything that went on last week with AEW. I will start off by saying AEW had a really strong week this week, um, especially in the storytelling department. I think they uh, were able to advance everything that they're talking about now 
um, and make it feel a little bit bigger, especially they're building to double or nothing. It's kind of unknown what the card's going to look like. They also have Forbidden Door to think about. And I think they're doing a great job of like spreading everything out and making everything feel important. Um, so let's start off by talking about AW Dynamite. Jeff Hardy and Bobby Fish open up the show in an Owen Hart qualifying match. Um, this is for, I believe, the last slot in the men's side of the brackets, which we'll talk about both brackets by the end of this. Um, but yeah, this match, kind of what I predicted it being, it was a little clunky just because the styles didn't really match up as well. But by the end, Jeff Hardy picks up the win with a swan tom bomb. Um, after the match, the Young Bucks come out to like help. <laughs> I put that in quotes, help Bobby Fish. Uh, but essentially, they just end up staring down the Hardys. Um, after this, we get a Blackpool Combat Club video package. This was really well done. It was on Twitter. Like, the long version, I think, is still on Twitter. Um, but essentially, they're, it's a training montage. And it seems like all their training is just abusing Wheeler Yuta. Uh, but William Regal has this great line saying that they'll be remembered by the scars they leave on their opponent's bodies. It's so good. Uh, so definitely check that out. Following this, we have the BCC taking on the Butcher and the Blade with Angelico uh, in a six-man and a trios match. Um, it's another typical BCC match, you know. Um, it's really fun, though. Brian flexes on Angelico as he chokes him out uh, with the triangle hold for the win. Um, I, it's really going to be interesting to see what they do for double or nothing because as of now they don't have a single feud they've just been doing these exhibition matches which are fun but you know you need a feud you definitely need a feud and you only have like five weeks to build it so we'll see following this we have an uh an ftw interview it's ricky starts and powerhouse hobbs and uh essentially starts his challenge to defend his ftw title against jungle boy next week uh so this week actually uh so really good stuff there swerve and lee then have a promo i didn't like this as much uh they say that starks and hob don't need to worry about the tag titles they need to worry about them because they'll be swerve in their glory don't i don't i don't really like that Following this, we have Warlow taking on the mystery opponent of the week. And that being, yeah, well, MGF comes out and announces that this mystery opponent is William Morrissey. Um, which, you know, is W. Morrissey in TNA or, or Impact and was formerly Big Kaz, Cass in WWE. Um, really hated the people who chanted Frenzo during this. If that's If you're one of them you're not cool don't chant for Enzo terrible almost as bad as the USA chant um but then Morrissey you know he gets his heat he mocks them he does the Enzo dance and he tells the crowd to f off uh so that's great love that um other than that this is a pretty good match uh CSW Morrissey eat the pin after a huge power bomb after the match security is coming down to cuff Warlow again but Warlow absolutely destroys every security guard and then he gets on the mic. He's he's not gonna stop until MJF gets or until he gets a match with MJF. And surprisingly, MJF's like, "All right, we can have a match. And if you win, I'll let you out of your contract. But we're gonna have some conditions, and we'll learn about those on this coming Dynamite." Um, they, like I said before, they've been doing great work with Warlow and MJF. Uh, while I think the trials bit, you know. 
MJF having these surprise opponents. I think it's a little tired, uh, but I think they're stopping it now, maybe. Well, we'll talk about it on Rampage, but they're essentially stopping it now, which I think is a good stopping point. I think this is fine. Following this, we have DMD and uh, Jamie Hayter. That's Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. And uh, Tony, sorry, Tony and Tony Schiavone all got wrapped in my head. It's Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter having an interview with Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. Um, It's just like a face-to-face, no physicality allowed. Britt says that every page of the AEW history books has her name written all over it. And she calls herself Britt Baker, the history maker. Ruby says she can't listen to Britt talk anymore. And Tony can't wait to get her hands on Jamie Hayter. And when it comes to Britt, she has a receipt to answer for. So, very exciting stuff. These women put on a stellar match on Rampage that we'll talk about later on. So, uh, But I, I have been enjoying how they were building this feud. Following this, we get possibly the biggest moment of the week from AEW. Um, Hangman Page comes out for a promo, and he's fired up, man. He's fired up. But there is definitely a mood change. Uh, Paige says that it would be easy to come down here and talk about how much he respects Punk. And how great it will be to shake Punk's hand and have an all-time classic against the best in the world. But that's not going to happen. And at Double or Nothing, there's not going to be a handshake. It won't be a masturbatory Bret Hart tribute match. Hangman says he's going to destroy CM Punk. And then he calls out a fan in the crowd wearing a CM Punk shirt. He says that you'll be requesting for a refund after their match at Double or Nothing, Double or Nothing, if you haven't burned the shirt already. Um, Punk says, or Paige says that Punk isn't there tonight. And if he was a betting man, which he is, Punk's probably off filming another TV show or movie. Paige says that he's going to embarrass Punk. And since Punk wanted to fight, it'll be the fight of his life. Page then slams down the mic and hoists his little title and he's off. Really interesting stuff here. Um, I don't know if I necessarily... I don't know what to think yet. I think I, I need to make the opinion when they actually do a face-off. I think that will help me gauge where on the like heel side Page is leaning towards. Because if this is just trash talk to really get himself fired up to be able to fight Punk then, you know, that's cool. But if you're doing a full 180 of his character, that's not going to sit well with me because I think you've built such a great character in Hangman Page. Um, So we're going to see where that lies the next time they actually do a face-to-face. Following this, we have a Jay Lethal promo. We had a lot of Jay Lethal in AEW, which I like Jay Lethal. Don't get me wrong. It's just I haven't been feeling his his stuff lately as much. Uh, but Jay Lethal's complaining. He says AEW brings out the red carpet for all these international talents except Sanam Singh. Uh, says AEW's backing the wrong horse in uh, Konosuke Takashida, uh, which which he's a big star in DDT Pro. Apparently, I, I never watched a match with his, but man, he impressed me. And he proposes a match against him this Friday on Rampage because he wants to show him what real professional wrestling is. And he'll get the red carpet no matter what. Um, so, yeah, good stuff. Following that, we have Chris Jericho with the entire Jericho Appreciation Society at his uh, at his corner. Uh, taking on Santana with only Ortiz because Eddie 
is still out from that fireball. Uh, this is a really great physical match with a couple of near falls here. He, uh, Santana nearly pulls out the win with a lariat, but after a timely ref distraction and a low blow, Jericho is able to pull out the win. After the match, of course, the Jericho Appreciation Society come in and beat up Santana and Ortiz, and Eddie is still not there. Uh, following this, we have a Joe promo. He essentially just says he's going to come for Jay Lethal on Friday. Uh, but then following this, we have possibly my favorite segment of the week. And man, it's crazy for me to say this because it's the gun club accepting the Acclaim's offer. Everything about this I enjoyed. I highly recommend you seek this out just to watch it. It's so much fun. First of all, you have the gun club like off to the side and they see the cameraman they go hey come here you're gonna want to follow us and they're holding presents both of them and billy gunn's tailing them you know this humongous figure and then they turn the corner and the acclaim was just there chalking so they give them the presents they're like we thought about your offer and we accept it and they so they tell them to open the gifts and it's scissors and so billy <laughs> billy gunn does great well actually everyone does great because both of the both of the sons say a different word for dad they're like yeah we talked it over with pop pop yeah daddy said we could and so essentially they asked billy gunn for permission and so billy gunn pops in and he's like come on boys put them together and he pulls out the international sign for scissoring and so all five of them just start scissoring each other and then max caster looks at it looks at the pair of real scissors that he was gifted and then he starts to try to put them in there but they're like hey, hey, hey you can't do that but it seems like they're all on the same page this was really fun um i hope you go watch this this is really fun um but now we get to possibly my least favorite segment of the week this and this and the edge stuff is kind of on that same level ain't it although i do think the presentation here uh was well, no, because actually on Dynamite they had the house lights up for some weird reason. You could see everything in that thing. You could see the ceiling. I hate that. Uh, but the presentation in terms of the characters is a little bit better. Uh, but essentially, we have the Varsity Blondes coming out to the ring, and they're tired of this whole Julia Hart thing. They want to have the team back together like they used to be. They want to be serious. They want to get focused. Uh, but they have the House of Black to worry about. Speaking of which, the House of Black attacks them. And they have Griff laid out. And his legs like spread. And so Malachi tries to get Julia Hart to hit him with a chair. But she can't do it. And Malachi Black rips off the eye patch. And you know, and then they leave. And Or sorry. And then Death Triangle makes the save. Because it looks like it was about to get rough for Julia Hart. It looked like they were about to beat her up. And when you got Brody King, Malachi Black, and Buddy Murphy staring you down like that, that's pretty scary. Uh, so the Death Triangle makes their way down the ring and makes the save. Ray Phoenix is in his ring gear, and he's wearing a full freaking cape when he makes the save. I love that part. It was the best part of this whole thing. The biggest problem with this segment was, one, the house lights were up. Two, it was too long. It was too long of a segment. Um, I think there were some great callbacks in here, though, like when initially when they beat him down. Malachi goes into the corner and Julia like follows him for a second and looks at him and it's like oh she's gonna do it and then you have Buddy being the one to kind of lead Julia to the chair he physically puts his hands on her shoulders and leads her to the chair and then is kind of gently instructing her 
And it's Malachi who gets the hot head and rips the chair away from her when she's taking too long. Um, so I think those bits are good. It's just the the segment as a whole was a bit too long. I still preferred this over the edge segment, to be honest, because at least there wasn't just terrible dialogue. Um, so, yeah. Following this, though, Ray Phoenix already in the ring, like I said, with a beautiful cape, and he's about to take on Dante Martin. Um, this was a match that I was looking forward to the most this week, and it definitely delivered. Um, this is everything you would expect from these two, just crazy high-flying spots that eventually ends when Ray uh, hoist up Dante Martin for in like a shoulder. He's carrying him, right? And then he knees him in the face and then he just delivers the most steep Mikanushu driver I've ever seen. Like I thought Dante's head was going to definitely hit the map, but no, he, he tucked his chin at the perfect time there. Uh, so Ray is the final qualifiee for the Owen, uh, Owen tournament, uh, as I misspoke earlier. Following this, we have, this was not a good segment either, to be honest, and it's not really anyone's fault. Well, it actually is. I don't know. The dialogue wasn't bad. I I think the message was pretty good, actually. It's just the delivery, man. These two are not the best at promos. Um, but essentially, Rosa comes out to the ramp, but then Deeb interrupts her, and Deeb lays out her intentions. She says she wants AEW to have the best women's division in the world, but that's not really possible if Thunder Rosa is champion. So, you know, sending some shots. I like it. This is going to be a stellar match. So I'm here for it. Uh, following this, though, we have a stellar match. Deanna, Deanna Perrazzo uh, taking on Mercedes Martinez to unify the Ring of Honor Women's World Championship. A really good match. Great storytelling here where uh, Mercedes is working Deanna's arm and it plays into the finish as Mercedes hoist up Deanna for that Romero special and as she's looking to transition for the Dragon Sleeper uh, but Deanna is able to like put her hand and kind of block it or sorry she bites Mercedes hand and so Mercedes is like forget you so she uses the other hand puts that Dragon Sleeper in and Deanna Prazo has no choice but to tap out so we have a new undisputed champion in Mercedes Martinez this is a great spot for Mercedes she deserves every bit of this I'm glad to see we're having such a pillar uh, be the first women's, like the first of this new era of Ring of Honor Women's Champions. And I'm excited to see who else is going to be in that division. But let's move on to the next bit of AEW. We're talking Rampage, baby. Um, it's It kicks off with a stellar match between the team of Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter taking on Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. Um, this is one you need to watch this week. We get a lot of good character and great uh, in-ring uh, prowess, I guess you could say. Eventually, we see Tony Storm roll up Britt Baker for the win. This is one of those matches I'm not going to go move by move, which I haven't really anyway, but one of those I want to save for you guys to go watch. Um following that we go up to the ramp and we go to the announce table actually and you know Jericho does commentary for Rampage and we get a call in Eddie Kingston is calling in he's calling Jericho he cuts a fantastic promo on the phone which I'm guessing has to be live because the way that Jericho was responding to it I think he could only know if I mean maybe it was pre-recorded it could be pre-recorded but it felt live that's how good it was it felt like it was live um but 
Essentially, Eddie says that when he came home to his wife after that fireball incident, he's never seen his wife so scared. And so now he's going to inflict that same fear into Chris Jericho. And Jericho does a great job of just selling it with his face. He starts off cocky at the damage he did with the fireball. And by the end, he's like, oh, what did I get myself into? It's fantastic stuff. Following this, we have Tony Nese. Um, he's kind of promo. He's like, man, why is it so hard for me to get on TV? Do I not know the right people? And then Mark Sterling behind him goes, well, now you do. Because you're going to have a match against an undefeated phenomenon. Danhausen. Yes. So we're going to get Nice versus Danhausen next week on Rampage, I believe. Um, so that should be fun. But next up, we have Danhausen's best friend, Hook, taking on J.D. Drake. This was a really fun match with a great finish. Uh, J.D. Drake has Hook for like an inverted DDT, but Hook springs himself over and onto the back of J.D. Drake, locks in the red rum for the win. After the match, Danhausen comes out to an ovation, boy. He is over. And he essentially asks Hook to be in his corner next week for this match against Tony Nese. But he gets just a bit too excited and puts his fingers on Hook's ch- or on yeah on Hook's chest, and so Hook shoves him over, and this reveals that Danhausen had a bag of chips with a little bow that he was gonna give Hook for his birthday because it was his birthday. Um, so that was fantastic stuff. And so Hook picks up the bag of chips when Danhausen leaves, and he kind of feels too guilty. You know, he's like, oh, I don't deserve these, so he lets them on the ground. Uh, the suplex machine is sad. Following this, we have a great FTR promo. Dax says that he knows who Adam Cole looks up to, and everybody knows how much the Hart family uh, means to FTR. Essentially, the comparison between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart here. And he says he respects Cole as a wrestler, but not as much as a person. He has, he said, he has not an ounce of respect for him as a person. And Dax, the Axe, is winning the whole tournament, so that should be fun. Uh, that should be a really fun match this coming week on Dynamite. Next up, we have Riho taking on Yuka Sakazaki. Um, this is a really great match. As someone who has not watched a lot of Joshi wrestling, and that's just because I don't have as much time as I wish I did, this was a great introduction to Joshi wrestling. This might be the match of the week in terms of like exploring something new because everything about this was just different. The way they sell the their movements, um, their kickouts, like how they kick out. Yuka was kicking out at like 2.9999. Uh, cro- like one one minute they did this cross body spot, and just the way they roll onto their back is different. They don't take such a flat bump. They take like this roll with everything. It ha- everything keeps in motion almost. Um, I really enjoyed watching this, uh, but eventually Riho picks up the win with a cradle roll up. Um, yeah, go out of your way. Go watch this. It's not, it's not a very long match. You should. This is like match of the week, um, other than the Cody Rhodes match. So following this though, you have a Sean Spears promo. I love this promo. I think Sean Spears is such a great talker, man. He essentially calls back to being Wardlow's accountability buddy and how Wardlow seems to think he's invincible. Well, he's gonna have to meet up with the giant killer. Uh, and that being Sean Spears. After this, we get a American Top Team promo. This was pretty interesting. Um, this is kind of setting up some division between American Top Team and Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian, uh, which I like because, as we all know, I don't like Dan Lambert at all. Um, so, yeah, 
we have Ethan Page, Dan Lamberg, and uh, Scorpio Sky in the ring. Ethan Page gets on the mic first, saying, we're not doing that mixed tag match anymore because he doesn't want his daughter to turn on TV and see Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti sucking face on TV. He's not going to do it. Uh, Frank Azarian comes out. He says uh, he makes his way down the ring, and Paige just gets in his face and is like, SEU is dead. It's not coming back, blah, blah, blah. And then Sky steps in. He says he wants to be a fighting champion. The days of the TNT championship being passed around backstage like Ty Conti are done with. And Sky says Lambert is gonna, needs to put back that other TNT title in the trophy case where it belongs. And then he accepts Kazarian's title challenge. This is really good stuff. I love the division. I think this is definitely going to reach ahead, a breaking point, and we can finally see Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky feud, which I think has been needing to happen forever. Following this, we have Jungle Boy coming out and interrupting Ricky Starks on commentary, and they just get in a brawl. Uh, there's a great slap from Starks to Jungle Boy. He just like shoves his whole palm in his head. I loved it. Um, and then Jungle Boy just hosts up the FTW title, which you better enjoy that because you're not going to get it on Wednesday. Following this, we have Jay Lethal taking on Kenosuke Takashida uh, in an excellent match um, that has a really great finish. Lethal is getting rolled up, and or sorry, he's trying to get a roll up, and then he gets the in the kick out. He's propelled towards the ropes and hits a lethal injection out of that. It was fantastic. Uh, and then Samojo comes out after and their security. It's a whole mess. Uh, but yeah, that's everything from this actual week of wrestling so now we can talk about the owen cup brackets i have both the men's and the women's here and we can talk about a little bit of my predictions what i feel like might happen um and what's realistic to happen so let's start with the men's a block um, we have ray phoenix taking on kyle o'reilly and then we have joe taking on the joker so the winner you know faces each other in the uh semifinals yeah semifinals so this is going to be interesting to see. I I believe Kyle O'Reilly is going to walk away with the win here against Ray. Now, the Joker is the interesting part because Joe is the Ring of Honor television champion. So, I don't know. You can't have Joe lose. I don't think Joe's going to lose against the Joker. So, that limits who I think the Joker could be because my original thought was Miro. But I, I just don't know. I think it's going to be someone a little bit boring. I think it might be Jay Lethal or Sanam Singh. Um, I don't know if Sanam Singh can wrestle yet, though. So that's the other thing. But I definitely see the semifinals being Kyle O'Reilly taking on Joe for the A block. Um, in the B block, we have Dax Hartwood taking on, or sorry, Dax Hard Dude, because they misspelled his name on the graphic. Um, Dax Hard Dude taking on Adam Cole. And then Jeff Hardy taking on Darby Allen. I know that's a dream match for a lot of people. It's not for me. I don't really care about Jeff Hardy and Darby Allen. Um, but I do see Darby Allen winning that match. Um, and then as for the B block semifinals, I see Cole and Darby Allen in the semifinals with Cole picking up a win there. Um, my finals prediction is Joe versus Cole. I think that's the match. If it's not Joe versus Cole, it's Cole versus Kyle and I really would love to see Joe versus or sorry Kyle versus Cole I think that'd be a lot of fun 
Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole. I think that can play on a lot of things, and it builds into the story that uh, the Undisputed Elite has been having of, one, a lot of tension, and two, Adam Cole guaranteeing that a, uh, a member of the Undisputed Elite will win this tournament. So that plays into it very well. So for my money, my favorite, what I would love to see is Kyle O'Reilly take on Adam Cole. I love that feud. I don't think it got enough shine in NXT 1.0. So now, let's pivot. Let's talk about the Women's Owens Cup Tournament now that we have all the contenders there. Um, A Block is looking. Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker versus The Joker. I think it's pretty obvious here that we're going to get Britt versus Jamie Hayter. I think it's the match they have to do. Well, I don't know because are you going to have The Joker lose twice in both tournaments? Also, who can the Joker be? They don't have anyone else. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the Joker could be Jake Cargill. That'd be really interesting. If Jake Cargill's in this match, then, I mean, she's winning the whole thing. But I, I, as of now, A-Block semifinals, I think my official prediction is going to be Jamie Hayter versus Britt Baker. I think that's the match that uh, everyone wants to see. But that doesn't mean Tony Storm will have to lose, and I don't know if they're ready to do that. Uh, Somewhere realistically, it's probably going to be Tony Storm versus Britt. I think that's going to be the case. Unless the Joker's Jade Cargill. Then it's going to be Tony versus Jade. Uh, But anyways, B-Block. Riho taking on Ruby Soho. I think Ruby's winning this one. I think that's a good win for her over a former women's champion. And then Riho was wearing all black in her match against Yuka. And that could kind of be like a tease to this match, maybe turning her. So we'll see. Red Velvet taking on Sheeta. I think it's a guarantee that Sheeta's winning this match. There's no way Red Velvet's getting anywhere near that. Um, So yeah, my semifinals look like... Oh man, I don't know. So yeah, semifinals would be Sheeta versus Britt. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Sheeta versus Tony. Yeah, I'll go I'll go Sheeta versus Tony. I think that's the match that they would want. That's a match I would want. Um so Sheeta versus Tony, Tony winning the whole tournament. Maybe Sheeta. That's a 50-50, but I would say Tony. Uh so that's my official predictions on the Owens Cup. I should have thought it out more before I actually did this, but whatever. That's my raw predictions. Um and so let's give a preview to AEW Dynamite before we send this show off. Um, that is tomorrow night. So these are the things that are announced. And we get the Owen Hart tournament fi- quarterfinals. Darby taking on Jeff and Dax taking on Cole. And then on the women's side, we have Jamie Hayter taking on Tony Storm. That's all happening on Dynamite. Oh, my God. Um, so like I said, I think Darby is coming out ahead there. I think Adam Cole's winning. And I think Tony Storm is winning. Um, and then we have... Uh, Ricky starts taking on Jungle Boy for the FTW title. Ricky starts got that handedly, probably. Uh, we also have CM Punk taking on John Silver in his hometown of Strong Island, New York. Um, I don't think I talked about the John Silver promo, but it was a really fun promo where John Silver challenges CM Punk in his hometown of Strong Island, and he calls himself the Meat Man. So that was great. Uh, following that, we're gonna have the MGAF. And Wardlow contract signing. Really interested to see what these stipulations are going to be. Because 
I don't know. I mean, what could they be? Is it going to be a handicap match? Is it going to be, you know, Warlow might be cuffed? I could see that. Warlow being cuffed. Um, so we'll see. And then we have the Jazz, the Jericho Appreciation Society victory speech. I think this is going to be the return of Eddie Kingston. Will he have eyebrows? That's the big question here. I predict no eyebrows. Um, so, yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening to this uh, this supersized episode, this big juicy boy that this was. And if you're still sticking around, you know, do the things I asked you to do earlier, please. That'd be really nice. Leaving a review, sharing this podcast, following us on uh, socials at hold for hold and yeah just have a great day you know that's that's kind of the only thing i can ask of you and uh see you next time goodbye